0: Fantasy Football Weekly, a production of iHeartRadio. Time now
2: for Fantasy Football Weekly from iHeartRadio. Your weekly source for the nation's best fantasy speculation and advice. Now, along with the guys from GuillotineLeagues.com. Here's your host, Paul Jargian.
0: Hello and welcome to a second COVID edition of Fantasy Football Weekly. I am Paul Jargian. I am at home. My cohorts matt harrison and brian johnson are in the studio so they will sound great and i will sound like garbage hi guys
3: well we know you look great though charge no matter what. why thank
0: you even with even with the coronavirus my uh you know my takes last week also garbage yours were fantastic (laughs) really it matched the audio quality which was perfect um we're gonna try to do better um i appreciate everybody sticking with us despite the audio issue, do intend to be back in the studio next week. I'm already testing negative and have been for a while. So um, that's the good news. I think we'll be back in studio at full strength next week, which is great. Lots to get to over the course of the show as usual. We've got take a chance on me with our nine players, not normally in your starting lineup. We've got three tough questions, the premature speculation, and we'll break down all the games fantasy style with our letter grades as usual. We begin with Brian Johnson. Lions take on the Steelers, and Jamal Williams ruled out of this game already. So hopefully, D'Angelo Swift can um, make—D'Angelo? No. <laughs> <laughs> this is, that's the coronavirus talking right there. Hopefully we will get a lot more uh, we'll get a lot better game out of Swift than we got last week.
3: Uh, we all missed D'Angelo Williams though in his we, pink though? hair. He was great. Jeez. But yeah, let's start with DeAndre Swift. Yeah, as you mentioned DeAndre Swift. Jam- Jam- Jamal Williams ruled out. But you know what? It doesn't really change my prospects on Swift so much. I'm still going to give him a C. It's a very tough matchup. Has been seeing snap counts uh, north of 70% Swift, that is, with Williams out, who will remain out. But again, a very tough uh, matchup. The Steelers are the league's third best run defense per pro football focus. They've only allowed two total touchdowns to running back. So I'm not too high on Swift this week. You certainly have to start them. your expectations. I will mention, though, that Detroit's Starting left tackle Taylor Decker is likely to make his season debut, their number one left tackle. So that does bode well for Swift. If uh, if only I was allowed to give a plus or minus, I might throw a a plus on there, but I know I'm not. So uh, see for Swift. Especially when I got
0: COVID, you can't
3: do that. All right, I won't. Uh, As for the wide receivers, or or lack thereof really, uh, the matchup is decent. Uh, Pittsburgh is allowing 170 yards and 1.25 touchdowns per game to the position. But how do you make sense of this uh, when you look at Detroit's last game, which is in week eight, by the way, they're coming off their bye. Uh, let's see, nine targets to the wide receivers for uh, three catches, and 46 scoreless yards.
4: <laughs> and they all went Time to... Uh, um, <laughs> Time I, I I'm sorry. I'm I'm not as fast on the button bar as charge I had to find that one. And we
3: didn't use it last week, so it was probably pretty <laughs> dusty. We had to dust that one off. Uh, I'm putting them all on the bench. If I had to pick one, I might go with Scott Fish's boy, Amonra St. Brown, who's the only wide receiver who caught any passes in week eight. But uh, really, they're all on the bench. For me, there are better options out there. We'll certainly get to some and uh, take a chance on me in a little bit. Uh, as for TJ Hawkinson, Not going to bench him, though, but just a C for TJ. Pittsburgh has only allowed three top ten finishes to tight ends all season, but last week the Bears' tight ends uh, combined for seven catches and 100-plus yards against the Steelers, so you're certainly starting TJ this week, and you are are certainly not starting Jared Goffel. He is on the bench. That's an easy call there. Over to the Pittsburgh side and Najee Harris. Oh, you want fantasy Fonzie? Hey! You know the matchup is good when you can bake the Fonzie into the name in Najee. <laughs> Harris is averaging 25 opportunities per game. That's carries plus targets. Uh, the Lions are allowing 145 combo yards and two total touchdowns per game to running backs. So the easy fantasy Fonzie for Harris. I'm also going to give Deontay Johnson a Deontay Johnson, an A. Uh, he has seen double-digit targets in five of his last seven games, and the Lions are allowing more than 170 yards and nearly a touchdown per game to wide receivers. Negative game script is kind of a concern, but uh, Johnson is a very strong start. Going to give him an A. But uh, Chase Claypool gets a C. Uh, that's a lot of Cs in this uh, line I wrote. It kind of reminds me of my high school report cards. But uh, <laughs> C for Claypool, uh, who has been very quiet over the last three games, totaling just nine catches
4: Oh, here we go. Nine times for
3: ninety-two Nine scoreless yards over like those three flag games. me down, Brian. I'm sorry. You got to be ready on that in the big chair, Matt. Oh, Come on, man. Jeez. Uh, Claypool has gotten four carries during that uh, three-game span, though, averaging seven plus yards per carry. So, so watch out, Najee Harris. I'm just kidding with that, of course. A uh, couple more guys to mention: Pat Fryermuth, tight end. Muth. He has not been quiet, uh, sits third among tight ends in points per game over the last three weeks. Got that. And is quickly <laughs> becoming Ben Roethlisberger's favorite end zone target, scoring three touchdowns over his last two games Detroit isn't giving up a ton of fantasy points to tight ends, uh, but Muth is tough to sit unless you have an elite option like a Travis Kelsey or a Darren Waller or a Dan Arnold in front of him, but a B grade for Pat Fryer Muth for me, and also a B for Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, The Lions are allowing 260 passing yards and two passing touchdowns per game, and I'm going to make one of the boldest calls in the history of this show and say Ben Roethlisberger throws for multiple touchdowns today. Possibly oh. two. So bold. So bold. Yes.
0: <laughs> and against that, the Lions. Against yeah, the Lions.
3: And that's it all for right. this game.
0: Uh, Browns take on the Patriots, Matt. For the Browns, we we have a little bit of clarity at the running back situation. We know it's we're gonna see a lot of Dearness Johnson because he's about the last man standing for Cleveland.
4: Yeah. So Nick Chubb, Demetric Felton, and John Kelly, who's like their fourth or fifth string back, they all have COVID. They're on the reserve list. Uh the both Chubb and Felton are confirmed vaccinated, but it doesn't look like they're going to get the negative tests in time to get back to the game. Uh, Kareem hunt was speculated to maybe return this week, but that's not going to happen. So that leaves D. Ernest Johnson as the only healthy running back on roster until they signed Brian Hill to the practice squad earlier this week. You remember Brian Hill. Uh, forget. Yeah. So the starting running back in this game, uh, which will be D. Ernest Johnson, it looks like gets an a grade. If Chubb somehow is, They've ruled him and, out. He's, and,
0: he's not going. Okay. They've ruled him
4: out. All right. Well, so the starter for the Browns has never had less than 69 total yards this season. Nice. In fact, the Browns have had 13 running backs, see 12 or more touches in a game this year through only nine games, and the average day for that running back is 109 total yards and almost a score. The Patriots mm-hmm. allow 160 combo yards per game to the running back position. So fire up Dearness Johnson with an A grade. Uh, Baker Mayfield he's on the bench Uh, some saw the monster bomb to DPJ last week and the fact that the Browns hung 41 on the Bengals and thought Baker is back but he ended that game with only 218 and two scores he's officially a game manager now he's only topped 250 yards twice this season. And despite allowing the eighth most completions, the Pats don't give up much through the air at only 246 yards and just over a touchdown per game. If 246-1 and excites you, can I interest you in Baker Mayfield? Because that's exactly what he averages, so he's on your bench. Uh, I will give a C grade to Jarvis Landry. I'm going to keep DPJ on the bench, though he's completely reliant on the big play, and the Pats keep everything in front of them. Plus, he hasn't been practicing this week with a non-injury-related rest designation. Evidently, Donovan Peoples-Jones is tired. Uh, Landry should see high volume but low yardage since he's only averaging 10.2 yards per catch this year, which is his lowest by a fair margin as a member of the Browns. So this type of game makes sense for him. He was also a did-not-participate-at-practice on Wednesday and limited on Thursday with a knee injury, so it's only a C for Jarvis Landry. All the tight ends are on the bench for the Browns. On the Patriots' side, that running back situation is almost as thorny as the Browns' one. Uh, Both Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson have not practiced at all this week. Both are in the concussion protocol, and it's not looking good for either of them to play this week. That would leave J.J. Taylor and Brandon Bolden as your runners. Last week, Bolden was ramped up after Harris and Stevenson went down, but J.J. Taylor was not active for that game. Uh, Taylor was active three weeks ago against the Jets on nine carries in a game and uh, scored twice in that one. Bolden was also a part of that game. He had two carries for zero yards and had six catches for 79. So I would put Bolden as the pass catcher. Taylor would be your runner. I'll give both of them C grades just on the prospects of the red zone work because the Browns have allowed the third most receiving scores to opposing backs this season. Yeah, I've been talking for a long time. Jeez. Yeah, this is already a long I, matchup. A Holy beef- cow, we're not even going to It's a beefy matchup. Yeah. Uh, Hunter Henry, I'm going to give a B grade to. The Browns have allowed touchdowns twice in the last five games, and they were two big end zone target style guys, Donald Parham and Pat fryer Mooth. Mooth. Hunter Henry has scored in five of his last six and has a red zone target in six straight weeks. Um, so he's in the B grade. Uh, Jacoby Myers has now gone 38 games without a touchdown. Brandon Zylstra has appeared in about that many games, and he has a touchdown. But now that i publicly challenged Jacoby Myers, he's going to score for sure this week. But he and Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar are all on the bench. Mac Jones only gets a C grade. Hasn't set the world ablaze with his stats this year, but he's twisted a few ankles. Uh, the Browns have been beatable lately, though. They've allowed the second most passing touchdowns in the league over the last five weeks. And three of the last five quarterbacks they've faced have gone over 280, so he's startable with a C grade. That right. that's my longest matchup by a
0: time. I hope that was your longest matchup. Was, I will try to be very fast it was with Vikings-Chargers. Uh, Dalvin Cook's an obvious A against the team, allowing the most rushing yards per game, and we'll just move on from there. You're going to start him. Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen clock in with just C grades. Cornerback Asante Samuel returns to the Chargers secondary um, from after missing last week, but Michael Davis is out. There's a little bit of help there, but... Um, this has been a very good receiver, uh, group of, uh, of secondary uh, members. Heck, only one receiver stopped 70 yards against the Chargers all season. Los Angeles giving up the third fewest yards to receivers, just 132 per game. Jefferson has posted at least 80 yards or a touchdown in six of the past seven, which uh, gives him an edge a little bit over Thielen, I think. Although concerning that Jefferson only targeted on nine of 73 nine Kirk times. Cousins' pass attempts over the past nine. two weeks. Thielen brings touchdowns to the table, as you already know, but when he doesn't score, he gets you very little. And the Chargers have only given him four touchdowns to wideouts all year. So the probability is that Thielen doesn't score here, and then you you get stuck. So just a C-grade on Thielen. For uh, Tyler Conklin, a bi-week C-grade for Conklin against a Chargers defense that's been yielding to elite tight ends like Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, and Mark Andrews, but that is not Tyler Conklin. Uh, mortals are fearing much more poorly against the Chargers. But if you were in a real pinch, you could consider him here. And Kirk Cousins is on the bench. The only positive trend working for Kirk here is that Joey Bosa may not play in this game. Um, everything else works against him. The receiver matchups are difficult, as I just outlined. He's not throwing downfield, either by design or inability. Chargers haven't given up more than 210 passing yards in their last three contests. And Cousins hasn't thrown for more than one 187 yards in back-to-back games which is dismal for his standards on the season the Chargers rank number three in passing yards number two in passing touchdowns allowed this game's going to be all about the groundwork and I don't like Cousins here so he is on the bench uh, Austin Eckler is an obvious a I'm only going to mention that uh, the Vikings are going to be without run stuffing defensive tackle Michael Pierce again who apparently had a setback and and that's going to open things up for Eckler to have a good game, uh, particularly on the ground and also potentially through the air because the guy who, uh, of the Vikings defense, who most commonly tracks receiving running backs is Anthony Barr, and he's out of this game too. So Eckler could be sitting on a really pretty game here. Justin Airbear. It's an easy A grade. By the way, I'm, I am looking at my Air Bear t-shirt, my official <laughs> first ever to market Air Bear t-shirt. Oh, yeah. And Matt, it it looks fantastic. And if people want to see the Air Bear t-shirt for themselves, where do they go?
4: Uh, Shockfantasy.com slash shop. You'll find the link to the Air Bear t-shirt right there.
0: Yeah, it's very nice. Uh, high quality uh, cotton, too. It's very comfortable. Mm-hmm. Easy A-grade against the secondary, missing Patrick Peterson and potentially its other outside cornerback, Brashad Breland, who's shaping up as a game-time decision. Without Peterson, the Vikings have allowed back-to-back big games to Cooper Rush and Lamar Jackson, who went berserk on them. The the loss of edge rusher, Daniel Hunter, means Herbert's going to have a bunch of time to scan the field and unload deep passes here. That means I love his his primary receiver, Keenan Allen, who runs all over the field, but primarily from the slot. Will face McKenzie Alexander, a good but not dominating quarterback. Cornerback Alexander seeds a 71% catch rate and a 108 passer rating in his coverage. He allowed his first touchdown of the season last week, and Allen just remaining a target hog with 11 or more targets in four of the past six games. Easy A grade there. What about Mike Williams, who's way thornier? In the past three games, he's averaging just five targets and 35 receiving yards. But the primo matchups on the outside against Cameron Dansler and possibly bottom of the depth chart guy, Chris Boyd, is tantalizing. So I've got a B grade and what I expect to be a bounce back performance from Mike Williams here. All of the various Los Angeles tight ends, I think there's probably a touchdown to be had here, but they're splitting everything up between Cook and Anderson and Parham. And that to me feels like they are all dart throws. And so I think we put them all on the bench. Um, and if you had, if I had to pick one, I would pick, I'd pick Cook. Uh, and again, the loss of bar might help out here. But overall, I don't think you want to go to war here with any of these tight ends. When we come back to Fantasy Football Weekly, we will give you nine guys upon whom you can take a chance. Many of these guys are available on the waiver wire. We'll tell you who they are when we come back to Fantasy Football Weekly. It's Take a Chance on Me. Nine players not normally in the starting lineup. Many of these guys available on the waiver wire. We begin at the quarterback position and Matt Harrison.
4: Uh, I'm going to go with Carson Wentz. Uh, he, he's probably teetering close to not-take-a-chance-on-me status after no, throwing. I no, don't, I don't think so either. He's multiple scores in six straight and three touchdowns in each of his last two games. He's not putting up huge yardage totals, though. But that's okay because the Jaguars like to allow huge yardage totals, almost 287 per game. So let's fire him up. And I'd throw a B grade on him, by the way. All right, Brian, your take a chance on me, quarterback. Uh,
3: I got New Orleans' uh, Trevor Simeon at the Titans. Uh, Tennessee owns the second-highest opponent passing play percentage in the league at 65.7%, and that ratio is even higher in home games. Uh, The Titans are allowing 285 passing yards, nearly two passing touchdowns per game. And, hey, if third-string Jets quarterback Zach Wilson – can go for 297-2 and two <laughs> against Tennessee. Uh, I like Trevor Simeon this week, and I might like uh, one of his receivers a lot, too. We'll see in a minute or two. Oh, yeah. I'm holding um, my
0: breath. I think people are going to think back to the, the the Rams game last week and be afraid of that Titan secondary. But, yeah, I think it is exploitable. I, I like that. That's a bold call. I'm going to go in between your two quarterbacks with Matt Ryan. Dallas ranks bottom 10 in fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. Without a lot of fanfare, Ryan's actually been really effective. He's throwing for 294 yards and over two touchdowns per game since the opening week. And he's topped 330 yards in three of the past four games. Meanwhile, Dallas's two starting cornerbacks, Trayvon Diggs and Anthony Brown, are allowing the most and the second most yardage in their coverage. We'll talk more about that one later on as well. Let's go to the running back position. Matt, who's your take a chance on me runner?
4: I've got A.J. Dillon of the Packers. Uh, here's the touch totals for A.J. Dillon since week four. 16, 12, 11, 4. Then 16, 12, So, if you follow that pattern, he's going to get exactly 11 touches this week. If if you actually follow the average, he's going to get 11 touches this week, too. Every running back who's seen double-digit carries against the Seahawks has topped 70 total yards. And of the nine backs, oh, wait, here we go.
5: Nine times. Nine times. Of
4: the nine backs who've reached that mark, only two haven't topped 100 yards or scored. All right, Brian, you're taking a chance on your runner.
3: Uh, Buffalo's Devin Singletary at the Jets. Uh, Zach yeah. Moss likely to return after getting knocked out last week against the Jaguars with a concussion. So some might stray from Singletary here. But before Ma- Moss left the game, Singletary was out-touching and outperforming performing Moss. Uh, and it's quite simple here. The Jets have surrendered the most fantasy points to opposing running backs. So there should be plenty to go around uh, for both backs in this one.
0: I'm ready to throw in the towel on Moss. I'm just Don't do I'm it. So, Don't do I'm it. so disappointed. Don't do it. Kenyon Drake goes up against Kansas City. Since the change at head coach, Kenyon Drake's averaging 11 touches for 85 total yards and one touchdown per game. Not bad. Um perhaps filling some of the void left by Henry Ruggs. He's also coming off a season high in targets, receptions and receiving yards, so they like to throw to him there. He's clearly more involved in the post-gruden game plans and's got a great opportunity against Kansas City, especially through the air, Chiefs allowing The sixth most receiving yards and the 10th most receptions per game to opposing running backs. All right, let's go to our uh, wideouts and Matt Harrison.
4: If you would equate one player with me on this show. It would definitely be Dan Arnold. Yeah. Oh, because for sure. I've Your been guy. beating that Dan Arnold drum forever. You've been cursing him. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Arnold continues to get targets and yards for the Jags. Uh, the big day is coming with the touchdowns over the last five weeks. Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, Mike Gasicki, TJ Hawkinson, and Kyle Pitts. Those are the only tight ends with more targets and catches than Dan Arnold. And all of those players are stuck in fantasy starting lineup. So, Let's go with Dan Arnold against the Colts this week. They've given up double-digit PPR points to five of the last nine tight ends they faced, including touchdowns in each of the last two weeks to Jeff Swaim and Ryan Griffin. Dan Arnold's going to score this week.
0: All right, I like it. Calling your shot, uh, Brian. Since you can't have Dan Arnold, who are you taking? <laughs>
4: Talk about a layup! I
3: wouldn't go take the easy way out with Dan Arnold and take a chance on <laughs> Too easy, right? Exactly. I'm, I'm going. I'm going back to the Saints and uh, Marquez Callaway uh, at the Titans. The Titans are yielding 26 plus targets per game to wide receivers, by far the highest clip in the NFL. Tennessee also yielding nearly five red zone targets per game to receivers, also the highest clip. And Callaway leads the Saints with nine red, zo- red, red zone targets, four of which have been converted to touchdowns. Oh, and guess what? It's a homecoming game for the former Tennessee volunteer, Marquez mm-hmm.
4: Callaway. You love that Family at the Titans. Oh yeah, yeah, baby, let's do oh, it. That's great. Would have been even Three. better if he was a Vanderbilt guy, since it's in Nashville. That's like, a good in, point. Actually. Ah, same right. state, close enough. Come on. <laughs>
0: um, that it is driving distance. So there's it's that. True. Three weeks ago, I tried Tyler Johnson against Chicago, and it blew up in my face. But I'm going back to Tyler Johnson again because it's such a compelling matchup and hopefully this time it works out. In the three games without Antonio Brown, Tyler Johnson's averaging five targets, three catches, 50 yards, not bad, hasn't scored. Now Tampa's without Brown for sure and maybe Chris Godwin as well, who's a game time decision. So that means Taylor Johnson can line up on the outside in replacing Brown. He can line up in the slot replacing Godwin, and he runs from both anyway, so he can do both. Washington has allowed the third most yards and the second most touchdowns to wide receivers. Um, And if he does go in the slot, he's got a juicy matchup against safety turned slot corner Landon Collins, who has allowed the second most yardage among all safeties slash, I guess, slot corners. So a great opportunity for Tyler Johnson. Let's hope this time it pays off and I don't look like an ass like last time. Mm. Not bloody likely. No, let's hope that isn't the case. Brian, let's go to the Bills taking on the Jets. I just told you uh, I'm very nervous about Zach Moss. He's trying to get through the concussion protocol. He looks like he's going to be close to a game time decision on this. What are your thoughts? And you already told us you like Singletary in this one. Uh, Tell us more about the Buffalo Bills.
3: Yeah, real quick, this is this is the first meeting of the season between uh, these divisional opponents, so uh, we can't go back to the first meeting yet, quite yet, but uh, Devin Singletary was my take-a-chance-on-me running back. I, I, I've heard Zach Moss is likely to play. If he does, I give him a C2. If not, Clearly will bump up Singletary uh, to a B-level grade, but again, the Jets surrendering the most fantasy points to opposing running backs, so if both play, it's a great matchup for both guys. A very good matchup for Stephon Diggs uh, as well. Going to give him an A. The Jets uh, lost their best player in their secondary to a torn Achilles last week. That safety Marcus May bodes well for Diggs, of course. Also bodes well that the Jets have allowed at least one wide receiver touchdown in four of their last five games. Uh, Over to uh, his... uh, Other starting wide receiver opposite him, Cole Beasley. I'll give him a B in PPR and a C in standard. Over the last three games, Beasley has a whopping 25 catches on 33 targets. And I'm not sure what compelled me to make this comparison, but Allen Robinson has just five more catches on the season than Cole (laughs) Beasley in nine games. Oh, no. (laughs) He's got 30 catches. Beasley has 25 over the last three weeks. Uh, And Beasley had 11 catches, 112 yards uh, in the latest Meeting between these two teams last season. So, love Beasley this this week. Uh, Manny Sanders, going to give him a C. Was worried Gabe Davis might be stealing Sanders' job after Sanders had the goose egg in week eight, but Sanders out-targeted Davis eight to two last week, so his role as wide receiver three seems secure, so he gets a C grade. Uh, Now, it's TBD who's going to play tight end, if it's going to be Dawson Knox or Tom Sweeney. I'll give us... Well,
0: Knox has been cleared officially, but what we don't know for sure because of the hand injury, right, is you know is is he able to catch as well as he would have otherwise right if it's a different kind of injury i you know you feel you feel a little bit more confident about starting him but he he will be on the field on sunday i hope uh, he's wearing a
4: club too
0: that that modi's oh the... god guys never wear the club anymore yeah do you remember that where they they just the whole hand was just in, in the big ball at the <laughs> end and they then if you were like a member of the steelers in the seventies you just beat dudes with that hand
3: do people use the club thing on their steering wheels still? Remember that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> well, now that muddies the waters. It's, it's a really good matchup. But, yeah, now that Knox is playing, I'm kind of scared. So, you know what? I'm going to bench Knox and both uh, Sweeney, Tom. So, uh, a bench for those guys. There are better tight ends out there. They're going to see more work than uh, either one of those guys. And Josh Allen, lastly, an easy A. Forget last week against Jacksonville water under the bridge. Allen threw for 300 plus yards in both games against the Jets last year. Also had rushing totals of 57 and 61 yards. He should bounce back big time in this one. Uh, As for the Jets, not a ton to talk about. Michael Carter does get a starting grade with a C. Very tough matchup, but uh, still startable based on expected volume. Carter has touch totals of 14, 24, and 19 over his last three games. He's also been targeted 25 times during that span, so a C for Carter. Uh, As for the wide receivers, Corey Davis should make his return after missing the last two games with a hip injury but he elijah moore and jameson crowder are all all on the bench for me the bills are the toughest defense against wide receivers allowing just 12 catches and 126 yards per game total to the unit uh to wide receiver units and just two total touchdowns all season to the position and lastly mike white he's a low-end starter in two quarterback leagues but an easy bench in a brutal matchup the bills have allowed the fewest points to opposing quarterbacks
0: you know, I get the feeling, Matt, we could probably work in one more matchup into this segment. Do you think you can get Jags-Colts done in under three minutes? Sure.
4: All right, let's do it. Uh, so the Jags beat the Bills last week 9-6 to six, and did nothing in fantasy. Trevor Lawrence only managed 118 passing yards. Carlos Hyde ran for 67 yards on 21 carries. And three Jags wide receivers topped the 20-yard mark, but none hit the 30-yard mark. No. What a weird oh, win. So let's talk about this week. James Robinson did practice for the first time since week eight on Thursday, but was very limited. It's 50-50 that he goes in this one at best. If he does go, I'll give him a C. Probably but would be a B, but I'm worried he gets re-injured or spelled by Carlos Hyde. If Robinson doesn't go, I'll flip the C to Hyde, who is the clear bell cow in Robinson's absence. The Colts have been very solid at keeping opposing runners out of the end zone, only allowing four total touchdowns to the position on the season. Other than that, they're a middle-of-the-pack defense in terms of yards allowed, so the bell cow will likely exit with 80 to 90 yards. The passing game is interesting. Dan Arnold was my take-a-chance-on-me receiver. Trevor Lawrence sees a defense that allowed 412 passing yards and four touchdowns to the combo of Mike White and Josh Johnson, who sound more like guys who would open a microbrewery in (laughs) Osakis than NFL (laughs) quarterbacks. So... I think we'll call the brewery Peacock Brewing Company. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Um in I fact, like Davis Mills and Jimmy G are the only quarterbacks not to hit the multiple score mark against the Col the Colts. And yep, they have David Rhodes
0: out as well for this one.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And they have a brick-oven pizza food truck outside the Peacock <laughs> Brewing Building. So I'll give Lawrence a C in this one. Has, still hasn't had multiple scores since week one. And since the London game in week six, the Jags have had a more focused approach to all pass catchers. Marvin Jones, Jamal Agnew, and Dan Arnold have all had 22 or 23 targets, 14 or 15 catches, right around 150 yards. And Laviska Schnault is down as the fourth option right now. So Jones is on the field most. The snap counts between Agnew and Schnault are getting closer. Both take over half their routes from the slot but move around a lot. And I'll throw a B on Jones this week who gets Xavier Rhodes' backup, whose name is Bo Pete Keys. Wow, Bo Peep. No, Would have been no, way cooler. L- yeah, I guess Bo Peep, he might, might as well. Hey, well, we got one of these. We, we can still call. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Call, call li- li- perfect. Li- little Bo Peep. Little Bo Peep has given up a perfect passer rating this season. By the way, Agnew and Chenault are both take a chance of me style C's. Um, the. Colts side is really easy. Jonathan Taylor is an a not quite an aardvark though, as uh, the Jags have been sneaky good against runners. They're top six in yards per carry and rushing yards allowed, but they have allowed the ninth most touchdowns. Carson Wentz was my take a chance on me. Tossy tosser and Michael Pittman. He gets an a the rest of the Colts wide receivers are on the bench. It looks like T.Y. Hilton will play. So that muddies things up for Zach Pascal, but Pittman has been great and the Jags are allowing 192 passing yards to the wide receiver. So he's an A, but don't start Mo Ali Cox or Jack Doyle unless you want two targets.
0: Yeah, that's the problem with those guys. If they
4: ever uh if they ever
0: blended into one human being, perhaps with uh four arms and four legs, then at that point I
4: think we'd be a lot more interesting. Mo Mo Alley Doyle or Jack Ali Cox? I like that. I like that a lot better. <laughs> I like that a lot better. Oh, it doesn't sound good. When we
0: come back, Chiefs at Raiders. Patrick Mahomes, what you going to do, Patrick Mahomes? It's one of the toughest calls of the year. Believe it or not, we'll give you advice on whether or not he's going to revert to form against Las Vegas when we return to Fantasy Football Weekly.
1: There are some things that are too good to keep a secret.
0: Welcome back. Fantasy Football Weekly. I'm Paul Charchi. And my co-hosts today are Matt Harrison and Brian Johnson. It is the COVID edition. Again, like last week, I am at home, which is why I sound like garbage and my co-hosts in the studio sound great. Hello, guys.
4: We do sound great. Sure do. Yes. You
0: know what doesn't sound great? Starting Patrick Mahomes. Mm. It used to sound... It sounded so good before you didn't have to give it a thought. But suddenly, here we are in a position where you don't know... If you can start Patrick Mahomes, I believe I have my lowest ranking on Patrick Mahomes ever. Oh, whole no. career this week. How bad has it gotten for Patrick Mahomes over the last three weeks? Among the teams that have not had a bye, Patrick Mahomes has only outscored Sam Darnold. <laughs> Think about that. And he's he was playing with a broken shoulder, Sam right? Darnold. Right. And he missed a bunch, <laughs> he missed parts of games. He's Mahomes has been outscored by nine quarterbacks who did have a bye nine over the time. last three weeks. Nine times, including Geno Smith, Taylor Heineke, and the Houston combo of Davis Mills and and Taylor. Uh, Tyrod. Tyrod. Tyrod Taylor. Uh, it's it's staggering to think that it's come to this for Patrick Mahomes. Now. As a whole, the city of Las Vegas is filled with slump busters. But the Raiders are not one of them, unfortunately. Well, maybe they are. Well done. Mahomes is struggling against defenses that can generate a pass rush with their base defense. And here comes the Raiders with Pro Football Focus's number one graded pass rush. So oh, everything's lining up just wrong for Mahomes here again. Now, I will say this. Historically, Mahomes has excelled against the Raiders. Um, His average game against them throughout his career is 314 yards, which is great. But he's never played at the level that he's playing at right now. And it's part of it is certainly on Mahomes, but it's also on a a banged-up offensive line, which will be banged up again for this game. I can't tell you to start Patrick Mahomes, and I only have a C grade on Mahomes. If it were virtually any other quarterback, this would be a straight bench grade. But I can't do it with Mahomes because the history, and we know that he's an amazing talent, and it no nobody would be surprised if Patrick Mahomes showed up with 300 yards and three touchdowns. It wouldn't surprise anybody in the slightest, including me, and I'm giving him the C grade. At the same time, based on everything we're looking here at on paper, this this I can't tell you, I can't give you solid reasons why Mahomes is any better now than he would be, uh, than he would be uh, and has been the last three weeks. Let's go to his receivers, Tyreek Hill. Despite Mahomes' struggles, he's still peppering Hill with targets, at least 10 in five of the last six games, which gives Hill a sizable leg up. Um, on the outside, Hill's going to see Vegas' best cornerback, Casey Hayward, who has yet to allow a score or more than 48 yards in a game. But Hayward's pretty slow. He's like a 4'6 guy, and that might be tricky against Tyreek Hill. And Hayward doesn't travel into the slot, and Hill will run from the slot a lot. And when he runs from the slot, Hill gets Nate Hobbs. But the weird thing is, as anonymous as Nate Hobbs is, he's been awesome, too. He ranks his pro football focus as number seven cornerback, and he is not allowed a touchdown all season. So there's really nowhere where Hill goes where he's got an easy matchup in this game. And so just the B grade on Hill, and I think I've given Hill A grades in every other game this year. So this is a new low for him as well. Travis Kelsey comes in with a B grade, averaging nine targets per game. The volume keeps him as an automatic start. Even though Kelsey's touchdown production, he has one touchdown since week five. That's it. Still, Kelsey's caught all seven of his red zone targets, and he's converted four of those into touchdowns. And, you know, he's always a threat to score. Raiders have allowed five tight end touchdowns over their last five games. So that's why I've kept a B grade and not a C grade on Travis Kelsey, which Sounds weird, but that's where we're at right now. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire could make his return for this game. He's a game-time decision. I'll remind you guys, prior to his knee injury, he was coming off his best set of consecutive games in his career, and that was weeks three and four with over 100 rushing yards in both games. And Daryl Williams hasn't been particularly good, just 3.6 yards per carry. So... If Edwards Alaire comes back, I think he, if he's good enough to come back, I think he gets most of the work here because Williams hasn't been that good, but he's no workhorse and he's averaging just 15 touches per game. And if even that drops a bit because it's his first game back, if he's at like 12 touches a game, then the most we can probably do here is a C grade, even though the Raiders just got steamrolled by Devonta Booker and Elijah Penny for 135 rushing yards. Um, I still think that's the best we can do out of Alaire. Now, if Alaire doesn't go. Then Daryl Williams walks into this safe C grade, and I, I like him at that spot, even if he hasn't been great. All right, let's flip over to the Raiders side of this game. And we'll begin with Derek Carr. Over his last three games, he's averaging 316 passing yards per game. That is third most in the league, which which I love. He comes in playing well. Kansas City's pass defense has been better lately. And a lot of it is really hinged on cornerback Legarius Sneed moving from the outside into the slot. I'm going to talk more about that in a second when we talk about Hunter, Hunter Renfro. Um, but smoke, uh, Carr smoked a better version of this Chiefs secondary last year. Aver- and he averaged 315 yards and three touchdowns in the two games. Um And only Jordan Love, Taylor Heineke, and Baker Mayfield have failed to put up multiple touchdowns against the Chiefs, so I think he finds his way to a couple of scores here and around 300 yards, and that's a B-grade for Derek Carr. A-grade for his top receiver, Darren Waller. If last week is any indication, all of Henry Ruggs' targets are going to go to Darren Waller, who posted his biggest game since the opener. Maybe not coincidentally, in Vegas' first game without their deep threat, Waller had his highest yards-per-catch game Last week, so they were throwing to Waller downfield. uh, Kansas City's given up five tight end touchdowns over the last five weeks. That's tied for the most during that span. And what's more, over those five games, every opposing tight end except Green Bay's Josiah Deguara. Who? I know. All of the opposing tight ends except that guy who have caught at least two passes have scored a touchdown against the Chiefs. So Waller's an A in this one. I mentioned uh, Hunter, Hunter Renfro earlier. With rugs gone last week, the Fro led all Raiders wideouts in targets, receptions, and yards. Fascinating matchup in the slot against Legereus Sneed, who since moving to the slot has been very good. Has not given up any scores and just a 68% catch rate since then. Still a slight advantage here to the Fro considering how good he's been of late and a B grade for him. Uh, Kenyon Drake was my take a chance on me player. And running back and Josh Jacobs also gets a and he, by the way, C grade for for Drake, a B grade for Josh Jacobs. Chiefs are allowing 141 total yards per game to opposing running backs. That is 10th most. A big chunk of that comes through the air, as I mentioned a little bit when we talked about Drake. And I like Drake there, too. But Jacobs is also emerging in the passing game. He's hauled in 18 of 20 targets on the year. Vegas's offensive line has been woeful at run blocking, but that really hasn't affected Jacobs that much who's seen his yards per carry increase in 5 consecutive games, so I like him in this one. Last thing I'll mention, if you if you thought Brian Edwards might be helped out with with uh, Henry Ruggs out, that did not materialize at all last week with zero catches. Let's go to our next matchup, which is Saints taking on the Titans, Brian. It looks like we will have a new starting running back for the Saints. Mark Ingram expected to get the vast majority of the looks here for New Orleans.
3: Yeah, Alvin Kamara ruled out, so it is Mark Ingram time, albeit in a tough matchup. Tennessee has surrendered the sixth-fewest rushing yards to opposing backs, but they do allow nearly five catches per game to the position, and Ingram appears to be in line for a bell cow role in this one, so I'm going to give him a B on expected volume. Uh, over to the wide receivers, Marquez Callaway was my take a chance on me, wide receiver, but I think you can throw C darts at Deontay Harris and Traquan Smith uh, in that order. Uh, I mentioned earlier that Titans are yielding 26-plus targets per game to wide receivers by far the highest clip in the NFL. Uh, Adam Troutman, though, tight end, is on the bench. Tennessee is allowing less than four catches and just 30 yards per game to opposing tight ends. And Trevor Simeon uh, was my Take a Chance on Me quarterback as well.
4: Hey, Brian, aren't
3: sea darts just harpoons? Oh, that's a good one. Well, yeah, it is, I like right? that. You can harpoon him. Yeah. Uh, over to the Titans' uh, side, Adrian Peterson. Uh, Got to put him on the bench. Uh, led the team in carries uh, in his debut with 10. Also scored a touchdown. But Deontay Foreman and Jeremy Jeremy McNichols combined for 12 carries and a much higher yards per carry. They combined for a 4.4 yards per carry as opposed to the 2.1 yards per carry from uh, Adrian Peterson. Uh, Expect Peterson's usage to increase a little here, but a very tough matchup. Opposing teams are only running the ball 37% of the time against New Orleans, who has allowed just one runner to top 70 rushing yards. And that was Christian McCaffrey in week two when he had 72 rushing yards on 24 carries. So Peterson on the bench. In this one, Uh, A.J. Brown, though, not on the bench. Going to give him an A. Yes, he'll likely draw a lot of coverage from Marshawn Lattimore, but Lattimore is seriously struggling, surrendering five scores over his last five games. He's also allowed at least 100 yards in his coverage in three of those five games. And granted, his assignments have been elite, Lattimore as that is, but uh, so is is a healthy A.J. Brown, very elite. So an A for A.J. Brown. And uh, for his counterpart, Julio Jones, let's take a quick trip down memory lane. Uh, Julio has faced the Saints 18 times in his career, uh, all with the Falcons, of course. Do you want to guess how many touchdowns Julio has scored in those 18 games against New Orleans? It's either going to be an insane amount or like two. It's an insanely sad amount. Three touchdowns in those 18 games, and the last one came in 2016. Uh, But New Orleans is allowing 15 catches, 215 yards, and 1.25 touchdowns per game to opposing wide receivers. So I got to give Julio a B in this one. Uh, As for Jeff Swaim, who is – Pretty much the tight end one on the Saints now. I was close to giving him a C after scoring in back-to-back games, but the Saints are one of three teams that have yet to surrender a tight end touchdown. So I got Swaim on the bench in this one, but keep an eye on him in in the tight end wasteland. And last but not least, Ryan Tannehill gets an easy B Based on the plus matchups for his wide receivers, Tannehill can also do some damage on the ground. The most mobile quarterback the Saints have faced was Taylor Heineke, who ran for 40 yards, which, of course, in most fantasy leagues equals a passing touchdown. So, B for Tannehill.
1: Hmm.
0: He's like, uh, Tannehill is a, is, could be, he's he's always been a sneaky rusher for touchdowns. And with Derrick Henry out, that might, that might continue to be the case. Um, we've got a few extra minutes to work with here, guys. Talk to me about Miles Gaskin. Uh, there are a lot of people that started him off of what had been relatively consistent work, but he has been as boomer bust as anybody. I think there's going to be some temptations for Miles Gaskin owners to just drop him outright next week. What do you think?
4: Yeah, it's looking pretty nasty. Just just the production that he's had in the last couple of games. Uh, I believe he had the twenty fourth worst yards in. A game where a player had 20 rushing attempts since the merger. It was, it was like absolutely (laughs) ridiculous. That was two weeks ago.
3: He's on a a weird, like struggling in even weeks though and going off in in odd weeks. I don't know if you want to drop him in week 11 because he he might go off based on that scientific fact. But I'm joking, of course.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And only 30, he hasn't, he has not topped 30. I'm looking at his stats right now. He has not top thirty six rushing yards in three weeks, and when he when he when he has bad games, basically if he doesn't score, you're stuck on Miles Gaskin, and that is not the kind of guy I want on my roster. Well, and
4: Charge, if you go every other week on it, he, he didn't have a great game against the Ravens. Yeah, that's bad. But he gets the Jets next week, oh, and that's geez. good. That and complicates that, matters. And then he get, gets the Panthers the week after that, and that's bad. And then he gets the Giants the week after that, and that's good in the odd weeks. Yep. <laughs> So it's, it's just, he's like a spot starter in a flex position and it's only if you're desperate. He's, he's a, he's a bench guy most of the time. All right. I
0: probably asked myself if I own miles Gaskin and and I don't think I do any of my leagues, which is great. Um, I think I would say to myself, if I'm not starting him against the jets this week, then why have him on roster? And I would punt him. exactly. You're
3: going to. Kick the gas can down to the, the road.
4: To the
0: yeah, okay, All right, there you go. um What do you do if, let's say, you have started basically any raven or dolphin, and now you're in a deep hole heading into Sunday, because you know you thought, you know, reasonably so that there would point be points to be had, especially from Baltimore. Uh, what do you do, and how does how does this change how you work your lineup going into the weekend? Uh,
3: you got to hit the stack pipe. You got to pair a quarterback with a, a wide receiver or two and it's hard to do to find but hey go back to that Saints matchup you can find Trevor Simeon most likely on the waiver wire or Marquez Calloway Deontay Harris uh mm-hmm. Traquan Smith uh it's a great matchup on paper for quarterbacks and wide receivers but you got you got to load up on one team and just hope they go off and uh the Saints are a great candidate to do so
4: I just feel bad for uh people who started Mike Gasicki in a guillotine oh, league yeah seven in, targets in a guillotine league specifically though
0: yeah no kidding that that is setting up for a chop right there and that uh that is very very tricky speaking of guillotine leagues uh we are still making new guillotine leagues even now you can join a half season long guillotine league at guillotineleagues.com the freshest new way to play fantasy sports we encourage you to check that out along with all my player rankings available for free at guillotineleagues.com. When we come back, three tough questions. Find out if you can go 3-0 and o with our panel of experts when we return to Fantasy Football Weekly.
1: There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge.
0: Welcome to Hour Number Two of Fantasy Football Weekly. I'm Paul Charchi and quarantined at home, recovering from COVID. I'm much better. Thank you. My co-hosts are in studio. They sound great. I sound like garbage. That is Matt Harrison and Brian Johnson. Hello, guys. Hello. Yep. This is a segment we call three tough questions. And it begins with this. Tough question number one: Is Patrick Mahomes still the best dynasty or empire quarterback? We begin with Matt Harrison. Are you talking about Patty Ice? Patty
4: Ice? Yep. No, I'm talking about Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> uh, I think Patrick well, he's Mahomes. He's ice cold, if that's uh, yeah, what Yeah, that's what I mean. It was a joke. Okay. I'm glad you got it. It just took Eventually. you a little while. Yes. Right. Um I still think he is the best dynasty quarterback. Uh, What's more likely to happen here? In five years, we're looking back on this season as the one rough patch in Mahomes' career. A rough patch that, by the way, still has him averaging 280 yards and 2.2 touchdowns per game. Or in five years, are we looking at this and going, well, that was the beginning of the end? I don't think so. He's still got the best arm in the league. The other options are Josh Allen who isn't currently matching Mahomes' output in his down year, Lamar Jackson, whose fantasy value is tied up in his legs, and we've seen a lot of running quarterbacks have their careers derailed after one knee or ankle injury, Kyler, Air Bear, nah, I'm going to stick with Patty Ice. He's still number one in my book.
0: All right, Brian, is Patrick Mahomes still the best Dynasty or Empire quarterback
3: no, I got him uh, number two on my list right now, and despite the poor performance on Thursday night from Lamar Jackson, he is my answer. Uh, Dynasty, of course, you want to look towards the future a little bit. L. Jacks is one and a half years younger than Patrick Mahomes, and Lamar Jackson, the rushing upside, insane. The floor keeps him very safe, and he can throw, and he's still just scratching the surface of his throwing ability, in my opinion. I think we might have seen – the peak of Patrick Mahomes. Not saying he can't get back there and stay at that level, but I, Lamar Jackson, we haven't seen the best is still yet to come. And you have to look at the weapons tied to each of these guys. Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, their average age is about thirty years old. For L Jacks, he's got Mark Andrews, Hollywood Brown, and Rashad Master Bateman. Um Andrews no. just turned twenty six. <laughs> no Hollywood twenty five <laughs> in June, and Bateman turns twenty two in the a few weeks. I don't you sure <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can. Why not? Like Master Will Smith, Master oh, sure. P? Yeah, obviously. Okay.
0: I agonized over my own question. This is the toughest question of three tough questions this year. I changed my answer three times. Um, the contenders were who you've mentioned, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. I also I also looked into Joe Burrow and Justin Air Bear as possibilities as well. But ultimately, I threw them out because they don't have – They're not reliable rushers, despite being reliable passers. And the rushing upside that Allen and Jackson give you, and to a lesser extent Mahomes, is just, it just is so big. So then I tried to delineate Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, and Patrick Mahomes algorithmically. And here's how close it is statistically between these three guys. Over the past three years, Jackson has the most fantasy points. Over the past three years, Mahomes has the most highest finishes of those three. And over the past two years, Allen leads both categories. He's been better than either one of them across the last two seasons. So where does that end up leaving you? (sighs) For a while, I was on Allen, um, but ultimately finished on Lamar Jackson because of the intentional, consistent rushing, providing a floor and the fact that you've got the passing upside and it was so close, and I agonized on this so long. In a rare turn for three tough questions, maybe the first ever, and maybe it's just the COVID talking, no wrong answers this week between Alan Jackson and Mahomes. I think you can go with any of those three Wait, and Alan, Jackson? A win. Alan Jackson. Like, like Alan Jackson. If you could start Alan Jackson, country-western star, yeah. that would be great. I don't think he's probably a western star. I don't even know, is western even a thing anymore?
4: <laughs> we like both types of music, country and western. Music and western.
0: Tough question number two. Once Odell Beckham makes the Rams active roster, will he be a wide receiver one for fantasy? Not on his team. A wide receiver one, wide receiver two, flex or bench? For this one, we begin with Brian Johnson.
3: Um, It's, it's going to be one extreme or the other, I feel like. Either a wide receiver <laughs> one or a bench. I don't know. I mean, Cooper Cup is just a target hog, and understandably so. Robert Woods... Very established receiver uh, in that offense. It's going to take some time for Odell Beckham to get uh, up to speed. Of course, Van Jefferson still going to mix in a little bit. Tyler Higby, uh, a very active part of that passing game. So once he is activated, I am putting him on my bench until I can see that he actually produces. But I don't see a huge target share percentage for Odell Beckham. So he, he's a bench for me until further notice. Matt, once Odo
0: Beckham makes the active roster, will he be a wide receiver one, wide receiver two, flex, or bench?
4: Well, he probably doesn't play this week, and next week's the Rams bye, so he's not going to play next week for sure. Um, Over the last three years, by the way, Beckham has averaged 7.2 targets per game, and no player has done less with seven targets per game than Beckham. He's averaging 3.9 catches, 54 yards, and a quarter of a touchdown per game in PPR. That's about 10 points per game. And then you look at the targets. Cooper Cup is averaging 11.4 targets. Robert Woods is averaging 7.6. Both Van Jefferson and Tyler Higbee are averaging just over five. And the other receivers and Daryl Henderson add up to about six targets per game. So where do Beckham's targets come from? Let's give him the two from Deshaun Jackson and maybe give him half of what Van Jefferson's getting. So Mm -hmm. I don't think he takes anything from woods or cup. So he's probably a five target, maybe six targets per game guy. So I think we're looking at a lot of three catch 40 yard games from Beckham. So he's going to be a bench guy, but I did pick him up in a league where he was available and I'm hoping I'm wrong. The correct answer
0: is in fact bench for many of the reasons you outlined, you know, remember the Rams just had a depth wide receiver and the comparatively even keel Deshaun Jackson quit the team because he didn't like his role Behind Woods and Cup. And you figure, like you said, there's going to be, it's probably three weeks out before he ends up with any meaningful action on this team. That's a long time to get through. And you also have to figure, you know, not only is there Cup and Woods, but you got Higby and Jefferson as well to contend with catches. And frankly, the team's commitment to the growth of Van Jefferson is far higher than its commitment to Beckham. And will Beckham have some impact games and moments? Sure, probably a couple, but they'll be surrounded by two catch performances that are going to sink your team and you're not going to know when they're coming. The correct answer is bench.
2: Tough question number three.
0: What's the appropriate level of concern for Terry McLaurin? Terry? Some or a bowel loosening level of existential dread. Matt,
4: Uh, Terry's still averaging nine and a half targets per game. Chart really likes to pick on the players who just had a bye week, by the way, because it was only two games ago that Terry went for seven catches, 122 yards and a score against Green Bay. But it was three weeks ago. So now we feel so far away from such a good game for McLaurin. Yeah, he's had a few down games, including his last one against one of the best secondaries in the league. Uh, that's the Denver Broncos. But this week he gets the Bucks. That's a plus matchup. And as soon as n- hit next week, he might be getting his starting quarterback back. That's right. Stewbeard Beard is on the horizon. So I'm going to say no concern about Terry McLaurin.
0: Brian, what's the appropriate level of concern for Terry McLaurin? None, some, or blowed.
3: I pretty much have nothing to add. I am in full agreement with Matt. Uh, I have no concern for Terry McLaurin.
0: He's gone from being a consistent matchup-proof contributor to being an all-or-nothing player with three massive dud games in his last four. It's not a matter of talent. His talent is not in question. But his quarterback's talent is in plenty of question. Opponents have broken the code on Taylor Heineke, and it did not require an Enigma machine. (laughs) He's always been a marginal passing talent who was meant to be a backup. He's averaging 0.75, three quarters of one touchdown pass per game over the last month. That's it. And defenses know that if you take McLaurin away that virtually eliminates the entire washington passing attack because there's aren't enough other good receivers on this team curtis samuels still out and probably remains out for a while and further bad news comes from this week's revelation that my beloved stewbeard isn't close to returning he's probably two three four weeks away from returning wide receiver talent isn't always enough when everything else is going wrong look at alan robinson as a case in point a fantastic top 10 level talent at wide receiver who's virtually unrosterable for fantasy purposes because everything else is wrong around him. Terry McLaurin is almost in that spot, not quite, and that's why it's only some level of concern.
4: Charge, I want you to tell me more about an Enigma machine.
0: You are not familiar with the Enigma machine, Mm, which the British Secret Service used to break the... The German codes in World War II? No, tell me more.
4: Let's let's well, just love, dedicate the rest of the show to that. I would
0: love I'd love to tell you more. It, you know the Germans had used encrypted communications that used a <laughs> typewriter like machine that had daily codes in it, and you had to set a bunch of dials with the daily code. And if you didn't know the daily code, it was basically unhackable until the British Secret Service found a German submarine was able to retrieve the Enigma machine and then built effectively the world's first computer, which could then just through through raw iteration was able to crack the codes of the German communications and effectively ended up winning the war in no small part because they knew most of what the Germans were talking about. It's a fascinating story. And one that was, was only declassified about 10 years ago. And it sounds like this. That is the Enigma machine working. Right there.
4: Mm -hmm.
0: Panthers take on the Cardinals, Matt. We've got a quarterback change for the Panthers that probably does not, well, I mean, all the quarterbacks were bad.
4: Yeah. uh, So Sam Darnold not going to play this week, leaving PJ Walker at the helm. And then Cam Newton signed there this week. But remember, Newton hasn't played for this coaching staff before, so he's probably going to need some time to get up to speed on the playbook and to read that Passing for Dummies book that he picked up last week. Yeah, it's going to be weird. Uh, Walker had a start last year against the Lions where he managed 258 in a score. That would be his ceiling here, and I think by a lot. Arizona's allowing only 225 yards per game, just over one passing score per game. By the way, the Panthers are going to be missing center Matt Paradise and left tackle Cam Irving both out of this game. So that's not good for Walker either. I will give DJ Moore a start, but I'm only giving him a C grade. I don't trust Walker at all, so that's why Moore's downgraded all the way to a C. But he does get to line up against Marco Wilson most often, and he's allowed a passer rating of 126 in his coverage, including four touchdowns. The only other Panther you should really think about is Christian McCaffrey, who saw 18 touches last week in his first game since week three. Now, he faced a really good Patriots defense and managed 106 total yards and was on the field for only 29 snaps, which was 49% of their plays, so half of the plays. But he was handed the ball or targeted 19 times out of those, so that's like two-thirds. So I think they're going to ramp him up another 10 or so snaps this week, so he'll probably be in the 23 range for touches. And he's an A-grade because the cards have been mostly good against the position, but if you top 20 touches... You have a good day against Arizona. Dalvin, James Robinson, Daryl Henderson, Aaron Jones, all had great fantasy days when they topped 20 touches. Kyler and Hopkins both have not practiced yet this week. In fact, the Cards have the Seahawks next week, and then their bye after that. So it's very feasible that they could rest both Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins until after their bye. They're
0: saying Murray is going to be a game-time decision. Um, He did get some light practice in on Friday. Um, Hopkins didn't practice all week, and we can pretty much assume he is not going to go.
4: Yeah, and A.J. Green also landed on the COVID list last week and didn't play. He's very iffy for this week. Um, Without Green and Hopkins, it was Christian Kirk leading the way, catching all six of his Colt McCoy targets for 91 yards. Rondale Moore and Antoine Wesley were both on the field for over 75% of the snaps, but they can't really be trusted, so it's Kirk getting the C grade. Uh, Colt McCoy probably starts, we're thinking. So let's leave the the rest of the passing game on the bench. Uh, Carolina has been pretty good against the pass. The fifth fewest passing yards allowed at 198 per game and either a not very healthy Kyler or Colt McCoy as the quarterback that doesn't make it good. Uh, Zach Ertz was on the field for 80% of the snaps last week and only had five targets. The targets just weren't that good with McCoy under center and the Panthers are only allowing four catches and 42 yards per game to the position if Kyler or Hopkins end up playing, I'll give them both C grades and you could bump Ertz up to a C if Kyler does go. Now, Chase Edmonds, uh, he is out for this one. and might be out for a couple more weeks with a high ankle sprain. James Conner has seen his fantasy value hit its second wind after 173 total yards and three scores last week against the Niners. It's the most bell cow he's ever been worth noting that, (laughs) Eno Benjamin did see nine carries in a score. And I think he fills the Edmonds role, Connor, probably looking at 15 touches in this game, which is probably the minimum and four of the five running backs who've seen 15 touches against the Panthers this year. Well, they've scored. So Connor gets a B grade. Yeah, uh, Connor's been an awfully reliable
0: touchdown scorer, which is uh, which is fantastic. You know, if Murray doesn't go or does play on this ankle, you know the running game hasn't been a factor for him really since very early in the season anyway. And you know, maybe maybe even hobble, he ends up with a, a decent game here. When we come back, we'll continue breaking down games, including Tampa Bay taking on Washington in what feels like a very one-sided game. We'll tell you. What to expect from a Washington offense that or a Washington offense that um, needs to have a bounce back game? And Antonio Gibson owners in a panic right now. We'll tell you what to expect from him when we come back.
1: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for or the perfect table. Hey, where are you coming?
0: Welcome back to Fantasy Football Weekly, the COVID edition. Paul Ciarcian here working from home. While you're at home, you can draft a new guillotine league team of your very own. There's still plenty of time left. We're only at like the halfway point of the season. Still plenty of time left to get in on the hottest new format in fantasy sports. As you probably already know, instead of playing head-to-head, The lowest scoring team gets chopped. All their players go to the waiver wire where you get to build a superstar roster over the course of the season. All you have to do is not finish last in any given week. The last team standing wins the whole thing. New leagues forming at guillotineleagues.com. Plenty more matchups to get to, including Tampa Bay taking on Washington. Tampa will be without some key cogs here. Antonio Brown is out for sure. Rob Gronkowski out for sure. Chris Godwin is a maybe. Maybe on a bad foot so we'll take that into account as we break down this game for Brady and Evans they're obvious A's and the only thing I'm going to mention for Evans is just how safe he becomes when Antonio Brown is out because he averages eight targets in non-Brown games and his average game when Mike Evans gets eight eight targets is 90 yards and one and a half touchdowns per game so a very safe start for Mike Evans one of my favorite receivers for the entire week now if Chris Godwin were healthy, I'd be giving him an A grade against a terrible secondary. But on the bad foot, if he does play, I'm going to lower him down to a B grade just to take into account the injury and the prospect of him maybe not finishing the game. And then my take a chance on me wide receiver was Tyler Johnson, as you may recall, and he is somebody you can use in a pinch if needed. Uh, Let's talk about O.J. Howard and Cameron Bray. I'm inclined to give them the C dart harpoon here. Oh, that's like a
4: C minus. No, it's not. It's yeah, a it C is.
0: grade. It's a. It's C. It's. It's not a C minus dart. It's a C dart. <laughs> Both guys have split snaps evenly in the games. Rob Gronkowski has missed, and Washington has allowed the fourth most tight end yards. So you could try one of those two guys, but really, it is a true dart throw between the two of them. Let's go to the Washington side. Washington's offensive line should get. Brandon Sheriff back and Sam Cosme back after they return to practice this week. That helps a bit, but I'm still really down on a lot of this Washington offense and especially Antonio Gibson. He's still got the, uh, he still got the stress fracture in his leg. That's probably going to be there through the end of the season, even coming off the bye week Tampa sees the fewest rushing attempts and allows the second fewest rushing yards and only 3.8 yards per carry. Gibson hasn't topped 63 rushing yards since way back in week two and he doesn't catch, which is a major problem if you think Tom Brady is going to stake his team to a big lead, which is very likely here. Gibson notched, notched just 35 scoreless yards, despite getting 16 touches when these two teams met in the wildcard round last season. So for the first time this year, I'm giving Antonio Gibson a straight-up bench grade. I which agree. Is, is something, it's funny you say that, Matt, because... When I, when I put him into the bench grade, usually on talent, I will not put guys into the bench as willingly as you did. And I thought to myself, this is a very Matt Harrison move right mm, now. Thank putting you. Putting the bench grade on Antonio Gibson. Let's go to the passing game. Uh, Taylor Heineke is also on the bench. The Bucs secondary is expected to get back. Carlton Davis and Sean Murphy bunting is a game-time decision. And they've already got Jamel Dean, who is pro football focus's fourth-ranked corner. And they'd actually played well, even with the backups over the last three weeks anyway. Get this. Over the last three weeks, opposing quarterbacks are averaging 140 passing yards per game. That's it against the Bucks. So Heineke's squarely on the bench. I have a wobbly C grade on Terry McLaurin, who we talked about earlier, and we already Terry. detailed a lot of his concerns. Um, the return to health for the Bucks secondary is a problem. So is the is the fact that no opposing receiver has topped 60 yards, 60 yards in three weeks and I mentioned earlier, McLaurin's been all boom or bust. This game's got bust written all over it. So if it's got to go one way or the other, I'm very nervous about this being a bust grade for McLaurin. So just a C grade for him. Ricky Seals-Jones gets a C grade only because it's a tight end position in a bye week. Logan Thomas is going to miss another game. Seals bombed in his last game, but he was averaging 50 yards per game in the three games before that. The Bucks are the middle of the road uh, tight end defense. So if you're in a pinch you could still use ricky seals jones on projected uh volume which could be helpful there i've got jd mckissick on the bench as well tampa allows the fifth most receptions and the 12th most receiving yards to opposing tight ends uh sorry opposing running backs through the air but miles gaskins is single-handedly responsible for one-fifth of those receptions and tampa's allowed really very little to other backs and mckissick accounted for just 13 yards when these teams met in the playoffs last year so you also hate him
3: he, with a passion, too.
0: You know, I really don't. But I'm, I'm just, I'm off McKissick, so I'm, I'm keeping him on the bench as well.
4: You
3: were never on McKissick.
4: No, you called him McSuck J.D. It. McSuckett <laughs> for an entire year, well, I'll half a season last year, and then
0: he earned his way off of that nickname. Okay. And I had to eat crow, and I did. Oh. But he's back on the bench, and he's back to being <laughs> J.D. McSuckett.
4: Oh, there's the crow. The eating
0: crow nice. button,
1: nonetheless. I like yeah, it. perfect.
4: Let's talk uh, Eagles taking
0: on the Broncos, Brian. You know, Jay, despite being a very wobbly passer, Jalen Hurts finds his way to good matchups most of the time. But man, this is a tough one, and I'm I'm nervous about him in this matchup against the Broncos. What do you think?
3: I, I'm nervous too, but I'm still going to give him a B. He just seems to come through week in week out, uh, despite the matchup. And it's all really about the rushing upside and, and the safe floor it gives him. Uh, Denver did hold. Lamar Jackson uh, in check on the ground, but that was back in week four with basically an entire different defense. So I'm, I'm still giving Hertz a B here. Uh, I do like the matchup for his wide receiver, Devante Smith going to give him a B uh, Denver will be missing starting quarterbacks, Patrick Sertan and Bryce Callahan, uh, which is all I need to start Smith with confidence. Denver has also given up big games to similar downfield threats like Hollywood Brown, Henry Ruggs and Deontay Johnson, each hauled in a touchdown touchdown of at least 48 yards. Uh, We're not going to discuss Jalen Rager or Quez Watkins in any detail. They're both on the bench, though. And just to see for Dallas Goddard from me, the the Broncos are one of three teams that hasn't allowed a tight end to score this season. And on top of that, Denver has held... All but three tight ends to two receptions or less. So, uh, C for Goddard. And lastly, the running backs. Jordan Howard appears to be the lead back in Philly, uh, d- despite getting outsnapped by Boston Scott. He led uh, Philly last week in carries uh, with 17, had 71 yards and a touchdown. But this is a, a brutal matchup for uh, Howard. And still, Scott's going to eat into his work. Kenneth Gainwell will probably take a lot of the passing work. So, all the Eagles' backs are on the bench. Now, over to the Broncos side and starting with their running backs. And we got to talk about Javon Williams, uh, Javante Williams, excuse me. He gets a B, which stands for better than Melvin Gordon. Uh, (laughs) Listen to this stat. And this this is all credit to pro football focus, but I got to pass it along. Uh, Javante Williams is uh, tied with Nick Chubb with the most forced missed tackles with 35 on the year. Williams has done it on less touches. Uh, In fact, Williams leads the NFL with a 37% forced missed tackle rate. Nobody Mm. else is above 30% right now, and since 2006, only uh, Marshawn Lynch – and Nick Chubb, a few years ago, finished with a missed tackle rate above 30% in the last 15 wow. years. And Javante Williams at 37% right now. He needs more work. Uh, Philly is top 12 in the most fantasy points allowed to running backs. Unfortunately, Mel- Melvin Gordon still getting a ton of carries, so he gets a C in this this matchup. But a, a B for Williams, and we just hope his touches will increase as uh, they, we get later into the season. Uh, to the wide receivers for the Broncos. Just to see for Jerry Judy, I'd still start him, but i temper expectations. The Eagles are allowing just 11 catches, 133 yards per game to opposing wide receivers. And over their last uh, four games, just one wide receiver has scored and topped 60 yards, and they weren't the same player. And for that reason, I put Cortland Sutton on the bench. Just six targets over the last two games uh, with Jerry Judy back in the lineup. Judy has doubled up. That target total. Uh, Unlike Jean Claude Van Damme, the splits are not good here for Cortland Sutton, so he's on the bench for me. Uh, Noah Fant is not, though. Gonna give him a B. Philly has allowed the most tight end receptions and touchdowns to the position this year. And last week against the Eagles, three different Chargers tight ends finished inside the top 20. Two of them finished inside the top five and neither was Jared Cook. It was Steven Anderson and Donald Parham. So I like Fant a lot here. Going to give him a B, but Teddy B is on the bench for me. This game is going to be all about the running backs with a little Fant sprinkled in. So uh, Bridgewater on the bench.
0: That all makes sense to me. Seahawks take on the Packers, Matt. And, For the Seahawks, they're going to be without Chris Carson's. We have some clarity on that. Looks like it'll be an Alex Collins start again. But for the first time for Collins, he gets to play in a Russell Wilson-led offense. And I think that gives him some... Uh, Some sneaky upside in this game, and I I think there's an opportunity for Alex Collins to be a guy that you could potentially start here. What do you think?
4: Yeah, I will note that Alex Collins is dealing with a groin injury, and he's been limited in practice all week. He will go. If he does, he's probably a workhorse here. Since Carson went down with the injury, Collins has seen 15 or more carries in three of four games. The one he didn't was a blowout win against the Jaguars, where they really didn't need him. The Packers have been a middle-of-the-pack team against opposing runners, although they have allowed the seventh-most touchdowns to opposing backs and gave up three rushing scores to the Arizona backs just two weeks ago. So I like Alex Collins with a B grade in this one. Uh, You mentioned Russell Wilson coming back from his finger injury. Uh, He has to go to Lambeau, which is kind of a homecoming since he played a year at Wisconsin, uh, and faced the Packers' defense that hasn't really missed Jair Alexander at all. They've held five of the last six quarterbacks they've faced to one or zero touchdown passes, and that list includes Patrick Mahomes and Kyler Murray in it. So no quarterback has topped 300 yards against Green Bay since week seven of last season when Deshaun Watson did it. And however, Jair is still out. Eric Stokes, who's kind of his backup, is dealing with a knee injury. He's looking doubtful. Isaac Yayadom is on the COVID list. (laughs) Thank you, Aaron Rodgers. So Kevin King has entered the chat and should get extensive snaps this week. So I was going to give Wilson a C grade, but I bumped him up to a B based solely on Kevin King being on the field for 50 snaps. King plays the right side of the field and DK Metcalf runs over half his routes on the offensive left side of the field. So he gets Mm -hmm. an A grade. King has allowed a passer rating of 132 in his coverage. Even when DK flexes into the slot, he'll see Chandon Sullivan, who's been slightly below average. I'm only going to give Tyler Lockett a C grade, though. He lines up about equal time from the slot and the right, where he'll face off against Green Bay's best corner. That's Rasul Douglas, uh, who's been pretty good since he signed in Green Bay. Uh, On the other side, Aaron Jones gets an A, and I already talked up A.J. Dillon as my take-a-chance-on-me runner. I will just mention that opposing running backs have have been averaging 33 touches per game against Seattle. That's a lot, and that's the second most in the league, so there's plenty to go around here. Devontae Adams gets an A grade on the assumption that Aaron Rodgers will be starting. I'll drop him to a B if we get a Jordan Love game. But uh, let's talk about it as a Rogers start. Uh, he gets a B grade. The Seahawks have been better against the pass as of late, allowing only one touchdown pass to Matthew Stafford, Big Ben, Jameis Winston, and Trevor Lawrence each over the last four games. But on pure emotion, where Rogers has been the villain in much of the national media <laughs> over the last two weeks, you know he's going to come out with that. I'm going to show you all attitude. Mm-hmm. So uh, Rogers gets the B grade here. Um Randall Cobb, I'm going to give him a C-grade, by the way, and I'm going to talk more about Cobb next segment, but I will mention that Cobb will line up against slot corner Ugo Amadi for most of his snaps, and Amadi is a fill-in and was targeted 12 times by Trevor Lawrence in his only start and is currently ranked as Pro Football Focus's 164th-ranked cornerback, but more Jeez. really good Randall Cobb stuff coming up next segment. All right.
0: Yeah, see, it. you and I are on the other side on 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 Randall Cobb by a fair margin. I'll, I'll I just, turn you around. I'll, yeah, I'm well, telling maybe, maybe it'll be tough because when all when all the receivers are healthy, he feels like the he feels like he's lost, which he was through the first half of the season when Lazard was healthy and Adams was there and MBS was there. It felt very unreliable for me. He's so. the
3: uh, Cobb man out. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh,
0: you will get to hear more about Randall Cobb when no. we come back to premature speculation which apparently is going to involve Randall Cobb I have reason what? to believe no. I, I'm just, <laughs> just hunch uh, and you'll also get two other guys you could uh, potentially pick up off the waiver wire this week when everybody else is trying to pick up them next week find out who they are when we return to Fantasy Football Weekly. Final segment Fantasy Football Weekly the COVID edition Paul charging with you I'm the COVID guy which is why I am at home my cohorts Matt Harrison and Brian Johnson are in the studio you can follow them on Twitter where it's technically impossible to get covid via Twitter I believe at- yeah. Explosive output for Matt Harrison at BTXJ for Brian Johnson. And I am at Paul Charchian. This is a segment we like to call premature speculation. We're going to give you three players to pick up this week that people will be trying to pick up next week. We begin with Brian Johnson, who is your player.
3: I'm going with Washington tight end Logan Thomas, who was supposed to make his return this week, but he is not. So most people have dumped him back on the waiver wire. He's right around 50% uh, rostered on in Yahoo Leagues. And the reason I'm recommending Thomas, I mean, he's a great player and he should be back soon. But between uh, week 11 and week 17, which unfortunately week 17 is now a viable Fantasy week, it's when most championships will be held. Thomas gets to face the Eagles twice, who I mentioned in the last segment are just getting absolutely shredded by opposing tight ends, allowing more than seven catches, 66 yards, and nearly one touchdown a game. So Logan Thomas could be a league winner at tight end for you if you go grab him. Right meow.
0: Meow. All right, Matt, who is your premature speculation player?
4: Marquez, no, Randall Cobb. (laughs)
0: Um, You took a little of the drama out of the last segment.
4: Um, The Packers did not sign Odell Beckham Jr. as many thought they would. Uh, But many don't know that Randall Cobb has eight targets already this year inside the 10-yard line, which is 33% of the team total. They're targeting him near the end zone. And with Robert Tunyon gone... He had six already this year, so there's vacated infrared zone targets. Since, okay. since Tunyon went down, Cobb has seen five red zone targets from the 20-yard line in uh, in those two games, and Devontae Adams did not have one in that span. So I think that we should probably think about these vacated infrared zone targets, and Cobb's going to make more noise than you think on the way out. You're right. It's more noise noise than I think. You are correct about that. I'm going
0: with Jets' backup quarterbacks, quasi-starting quarterback, Mike White, who will probably get handled by the Bills this week. Uh, But this is a forward-looking segment, and if we look forward to the schedule, he's got Miami and Houston coming up the next two weeks. And that's a possibility for him to look good and perhaps cement this job. Now, Zach Wilson could end up coming back over this time frame. But what if Mike White looks good, continues to look good? Then what do they do? I could potentially keep starting him. Um, You already know he's been shockingly good in relief of Zach Wilson. And, you know, again, with Miami and Houston coming up, maybe he makes a little noise here and keeps the job and continues to
4: look very good. Charge, that's ludicrous. It might be. (laughs) Zach Wilson's going to start as soon as he's healthy.
0: I don't oh, know and it's that gonna, that's a given. I really it, oh, I don't
4: know. The Jets aren't going for a playoff spot. Come on. They're going to start their second overall pick. That's absolutely ridiculous. I don't
0: think it's nearly as sure a thing as you believe it is. Oh, is. Let's go to the Falcons taking on the Cowboys, and let's start with the one of the most shocking developments in the history of fantasy football, Cordero Patterson's season. He gets an A grade in this particular matchup. After not allowing a 60-yard rusher through the first five games, Dallas has now allowed four of them in the last three weeks alone. They are Pro Football Focus's third worst run defending and tackling unit. And Patterson's actually 13th among running backs, quote, running backs in yards after contact at 2.0. I mean, for a converted wideout playing running back, it's amazing that he's good after contact. None of Dallas's linebackers can hang with Patterson out of the backfield, and that may be the case with their corners as well. So we're going to continue to keep starting Cordero Patterson with confidence, and I like him in this game. Sticking with the running backs, Mike Davis is completely dead to us. He's averaging a woeful 3.2 yards per carry, hasn't topped 53 rushing yards in any game, and has two touchdowns on the year. I believe he's straight-up droppable. Matt Ryan was my take-a-chance-on-me quarterback. From earlier in the show and he's a C grade in this game Kyle Pitts gets a B grade but I was really close to giving him a C grade let's Uh. let's talk it through here Kyle Pitts continues to see deep targets he actually leads all tight ends in average depth of target at 12 yards and per pro football focus he's got the most intermediate and deep receptions among all tight ends and over half his targets are at least 10 yards downfield so you would think with all these targets and all these receptions being downfield, he'd be scoring touchdowns, but that isn't the case. He's got one touchdown all year. That's it for Kyle Pitts. Eight uh, eight Falcons have as many touchdown receptions or more than Kyle Pitts has got, which is depressing. Is that the vault? That's the, that? The That's the That's vulture. That's the vulture. That's the vulture. Everybody's vulturing uh, Kyle Pitts. I think you're right. Cowboys are a good tight end defense. Since getting nuked by Gronk in the season opener, Dallas is only giving up a quarter of one touchdown per game to the position. So I've got pits on the speed grade, but it's it's through what I think will be solid yardage, but I can't give you I can't expect a second touchdown yet, not against the Cowboys. So just the B grade there. And again, it was close to a C. All right, let's go to Dallas. It looks like left tackle Tyron Smith is not going to play again, which was a contributing factor for last week's total dud game. But there's a far easier matchup, and I've got strong grades on most of your key Cowboys here, including Ezekiel Elliott. Confirmed that he will play uh, in this game. Hasn't scored in three straight after racking up six scores in the previous month. Thankfully, Atlanta's allowed nine touchdowns, seventh most to backs this season, and I do expect one here as well. They're also allowing the seventh most receptions and receiving yards to the position, and Zeke's got at least three receptions in his last three games, so he should catch some here as well. So an A-grade on Zeke, which is not a big surprise. Uh, Giving an A-grade to um, Dak Prescott, a probable bounce-back game coming after last week's flop against a Falcons secondary that's faced one of the weakest schedules of opposing quarterbacks. The only Dak-level passer the Falcons have faced is Tom Brady, and he threw for five touchdowns. Trevor Simeon just hit these Falcons for 250-2. and two. And if we take out bottom-tier passers like Daniel Jones, Zach Wilson, and Sam Darnold, the average passing game against the Falcons is 280 yards and three-and-a-half touchdowns per game, which is ridiculous. And we'd certainly take three-and-a-half touchdowns out of Dak Prescott. Uh, CeeDee Lamb gets an A grade. I'm ignoring everything about last week's disaster for CeeDee Lamb, other than the fact that he was targeted nine times. Nine and I'm going to fire times. him up with confidence nine, here against nine. This Falcons defense that I've already explained why I think there's a great matchup for him. Amari Cooper uh, confirmed he's going to play as well. His many nagging injuries have reduced him to a touchdown-dependent receiver. He's only reached 70 yards once in the past seven games, which is really disappointing for Cooper, and has only posted more than three catches twice in those seven games. But he is scoring touchdowns, and Atlanta has allowed multiple touchdowns to receivers five different times. So if I think Lamb's going to get one, and I do, I think Cooper gets one here as well, so he'd be great on Cooper. Let's talk through Dalton Schultz, which is a fascinating uh, opportunity for him. Over the last three weeks, the Falcons have given up the third-most yards and the second-most receptions to tight ends. Schultz has had a quiet couple of weeks, and he, but he still remains seventh in yards among tight ends. Hasn't scored a touchdown since week four. But the key thing you need to know about Dalton Schultz is Blake Jarwin's on IR, and Schultz is no longer competing for tight end targets, and I think that's enough to keep him with a solid game here and a potential bounce back with a B grade. And lastly, Tony Pollard gets a C grade. We've seen change of pace backs. Mark Ingram and J.D. McKissick have solid days against Atlanta, and backs that have been in Pollard's 10-ish touch range typically, typically find their way to a good game against Atlanta, so we'll give a C grade to Tony Pollard. Our final matchup is the Monday Nighter, as it oftentimes is. Rams taking on the 49ers. Rams' offense struggled last week. Do you see a bounce back coming, Brian?
3: Yeah, I do. And uh, I'll make a quick mention. This is the first meeting of the season between these divisual, divisional opponents, uh, starting with the running back for LA, Daryl Henderson. going to give him a B. San Francisco has allowed 10 touchdowns to running backs, only six other teams have allowed double digit scores to the position. I expect a bounce back for Henderson in this one. He gets a B. Going to give Cooper Cup an A. Uh, Cup doesn't have the best history against San Francisco. Uh, Only has one touchdown in his last five meetings with the Niners. And 41 yards was the most he has totaled in in a game during that span. But he's obviously on another level this year. And the San Francisco secondary is just super banged up. So uh, an easy A for Cup and an easy B for Robert Woods, who has at least 70 yards or a touchdown in each of his past six games. He also has at least... Nine targets in back-to-back games, so B for Robert Woods. I do have Van Jefferson on the bench. Despite San Francisco's secondary being very banged up, like I just mentioned, soon to be living in a van down by the river, Jefferson has only topped three catches once in his last five games. He is on the bench, as is Tyler Higbee. San Francisco is allowing less than four catches and 35 yards per game to opposing tight ends and Matt Stafford going to give him a B comparable quarterbacks like Carson Wentz, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and the very incomparable Jared Goff have all thrown for multiple touchdowns against San Francisco. And uh, I'll say it a third time. That secondary is very banged up. Uh, I'm a big fan of the passing game for the Rams in this one Uh, over to the 49ers side. Starting with George Kittle, who looked great in his return last week. He has topped 100 yards and or scored a touchdown in six of his seven career games against the Rams. The one time he failed to meet both benchmarks was in his rookie year. And it's a pretty good matchup on paper. L.A. is allowing six catches and 60 yards per game to opposing tight ends. Uh, Debo Samuel, just going to give him a B here. Might see fewer targets with Kittle back. But he still saw nine looks last week.
5: Nine times.
3: Debo averaged 100 yards with a touchdown in his two games against L.A. last year. There's a chance he's shadowed by Jalen Ramsey, but there's no way you can bench Debo when healthy. Brandon Ayuk, almost back to unbenchable status, Uh, but I'm Mm -hmm. not going to trust him in this matchup. Uh, If Ayuk puts up good numbers in this one, I'll be a little surprised. But But if he does do that, we'll at least know he's back as a viable fantasy asset, but I don't trust him in this one. He is on the bench. As is Jimmy Garoppolo. The Rams have surrendered just pa- just 10 passing touchdowns all season, and they're ready to add Von Miller into their pass-rushing rush- mix. And lastly, Elijah Mitchell, just going to give him a C. Uh, the Rams have the highest-rated run defense, uh, according to Pro Football Focus, and no runner has topped 50 yards against them in five straight games. Wow.
0: It is a tough matchup for him. And he comes in a little bit banged up as well, which worries me a little bit. And additionally, for Elijah Mitchell, and
3: the Rams are vulnerable vulnerable through the air to the position, though allowing the ninth most receiving yards to running backs and the twelfth most receptions. So that's why I gave uh, him the starting C, Elijah yeah. Wilson
4: He's, is looming there too. And I know James Hasty, too. James Hasty,
0: Wilson's but, not back yet, but his his return is looming, and is it maybe as soon as next week? Um, guys, Cam Newton is uh, re-signed with his old team, and something that I, I think most people thought would would not end up happening. Any reason to believe? Cam Newton will be materially better in Carolina than he was in New England, where mostly he was not a a fantasy startable quarterback.
3: I'm not so convinced he's going to rekindle that magic uh, in Carolina. He certainly didn't look good uh, in his last season with the Panthers. Um, He does have a healthy Christian McCaffrey back. That helps. DJ Moore is certainly trending upwards. I do know that Carolina has – the eighth-hardest remaining strength of schedule for quarterbacks. So, uh, I don't know. He's worth a roster spot, but I'm pretty bummed. I really wanted to see what P.J. Walker had to offer. We will get to see that on Sunday. If he has a good game, though, against the Cardinals, uh, I think it's going to be tough to, to sit P.J., but they gave Cam ridiculous amount of guaranteed money yeah
4: so i mean the panthers are still kind of in line for that seventh wild card spot in the nfc they're they're in play there so they're gonna go with the hot hand so we're probably gonna see some cam newton but we're calling him scam newton because he doesn't throw the ball well at all anymore and uh i'm i'm a little nervous that uh that might be the case when we see him again and it might torpedo dj moore's value
0: I'd like to see them platoon Cam as a runner and use him like a little bit of a Taysom Hill. And he doesn't have to be your full-time quarterback, but bring him in and let him run a little bit. Uh, great job this week. Thanks to all our listeners, again, for putting up with the audio quality as I stay at home quarantine with COVID. I appreciate all the support and your continued understanding with that. We'll be back in the studio next week for another edition of Fantasy Football Weekly, where we'll all be back together, and it will be very, very special. Thanks for listening, everybody. Talk to you in one week.